We're going to continue on the chronological life of Jesus, and we're going to start in John chapter 18 today. John chapter 18. But let me correct the timeline because I think I had the timing a little bit off the last time I was sharing with you. So, this first, what we're going to deal with today is the first civil or criminal trial of Jesus. He already went through three religious trials. Then we talked about uh, Judas uh, hanging himself last time. And now we're going to talk about the three civil or criminal trials that he's going to go through uh, uh, with the Romans. And the first of those is around 4 a.m. So it's about 4 a.m., our Friday morning, 4 a.m. And uh, um, that, then he's going to go through another civil trial at about 5 a.m. with Herod Antipas, the first one with Pontius Pilate, the second one with Herod Antipas, and then a third one at about 6 a.m. on that Friday morning. He'll go through the third trial, and, and uh, that will be again with Pontius Pilate, and that's when, when he will be, a uh, 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 sentence will be declared, and it, it takes a few hours then for, them, for him to be crucified, for him to, to get to the place of crucifixion and, and to get everything ready for that. So he's crucified at 9 a.m. on that Friday morning, and from 9 to 12, from 9 a.m. to noon, he's suffering for the sins of humankind. And then from 12 until 3, he's suffering separation from God, and then he dies at about 3. And I'll show you when we get to that how we know precisely the timing of when his third trial took place, when his uh, uh, crucifixion took place, because the scriptures specifically mention the time that the crucifixion took place. It mentions when darkness, the specific time when darkness came over the earth. So we, we have all of those, those timings made out for us. Okay, so let's look at, at John chapter 1. I'm sorry, John chapter 18, reading, reading from verse, um, John chapter 18, verse 20, 28. John 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium, so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Okay, so the Passover that they're talking about is the Passover feast that only the priests can eat. Jesus had his Passover feast on Thursday, our Thursday night which is actually their Friday morning because they, they, they start the Friday at 6 p.m. Our Thursday is their starting of a Friday. You say, well, why do they do that? The question is, why do we start our day at midnight? Why is that? That is just what a, our culture has said is the start of the day. So their start of the day is actually sundown. Thursday now becomes Friday. So Jesus is having his Passover feast after sundown on Thursday night. And so it is there Friday that he's having his Passover feast. That is when people ate the Passover feast. That is what the Mosaic Law prescribed. On Friday morning at about 9 a.m., there is a sacrifice, and only the priests and their families are allowed to eat of that. That's what they're talking about here. They're preparing for that Passover feast. The priests, and the, they would not go into... Uh, um, Pontius Pilate's home. And the reason they wouldn't do that is because under the Mishnaic law, if they went into the home of a Gentile, a non-Jew, they would be deemed unclean and they couldn't partake of the Passover feast. 
So remember, this is a very big thing to have the Passover feast. And they're not going into his home, so they stand in the outer court of his home, in the praetorium, so they're not in his home. And, and uh, uh, they're not under the roof of his home. And that's what they're talking about here. And that's why it's very easy to make mistakes reading the Scriptures and to think that you've found uh, uh, um, controversial points between diff- two different Gospels. It's only because we're not historians that we make these mistakes, that we don't understand. One of the other things that we'll see is Mark is going to give certain timings, and Mark is using the Jewish time frame where he starts counting the time from the hour of 6 a.m. That is the Jewish time frame of counting. Whereas John, the Gospel of John was written many years later. The Gospel of John was written near the end of the first century. John wrote this as a very old man. He's using Roman time. And then again, so once you understand this, it becomes very clear. Historians understand this. We as lay people don't, and we get really mixed up and think that there's discord. There is not discord. The discord is in our own mind because we're not very experienced. So, they're they're there. They wouldn't enter the praetorium, it says in verse 28 of John chapter 18, so that they would not be defiled but might be able to eat the Passover. Verse 29, Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and they said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your own law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Okay, so there's a lot here. So Pilate Pilate was actually a Roman citizen born in Spain. He he was procurator. He was governor over Judea. Judea and Samaria from 26 A.D. to 36 A.D. This is occurring right at 30 A.D. And we know precisely the year that this occurred. And it it was occurring at 30 A.D. And you may say, I thought Jesus lived to be 33. Actually, he lived to be about 35. Jesus was not born at the the year zero. Jesus was born 5 to 7 A.D. That That is, there's a lot of evidence. I'm sorry, 5 to 7 B.C., there's a lot of evidence for that. But, um, so this is happening right in the middle of Pilate's procuratorship. He normally had his offices in Caesarea, which is right on the Mediterranean, but he would come to Jerusalem for the Passover, not because he cared about the Passover, but it was his job to keep peace. If he didn't keep peace, he could be in real trouble with the Roman Senate and with Caesar. He was made governor to keep peace. He was made governor to collect taxes and keep peace. That's what he was there for. Even if he had to use force to keep peace, he had to maintain the peace. So he would come into into Jerusalem. The reason is because every male Jew had to come to Jerusalem for the Passover. It was a very busy place. Now, males and females could come, but every male was obliged to come. And so it was really busy. They would set up tent cities around the city of Jerusalem because not all the people could even get in. And that's where they would have their Passover feast on what, what is our Thursday night. And it was a very busy place. He would come there to maintain the peace. Also, from Galilee, Herod Antipas, who was not over Judea and Samaria, but he was over the northern part, Galilee, he would also come to Jerusalem at that time to help to maintain the peace. So you had... 
two different ruling parties, two different people from the Roman government there to make sure the peace was maintained. Because if they didn't maintain peace, they were in big trouble. That's what they were getting paid for. It was their job to do this. Why was Pilate ready for a trial at 4 a.m.? Because remember, he had dispatched this Roman cohort, this hundreds of Roman soldiers. So he was expecting this trial. This is why he was dressed and ready for this at about 4 a.m. They come to him and Pilate says, what accusation do you bring against this man? So now, remember I took you through 22 rules that there were in Jewish trials, which they violated? 22 rules. Now we go to the Roman trial. And in Roman, you first have to bring the accusation, much like in, in our system. The, you first have to bring the accusation. What is the accusation? And then the person can make their defense. Pilate was known for being a very strict Roman, according, going to, to, uh, 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 well according to Roman rule. He was known for being extremely hard, and, and he could really lack great mercy. He could lack mercy all the time, but he went by the rules. And so he says, what accusation do you bring? And so the Jewish leaders are looking around. Where, where is Judas? Judas was the one who was supposed to bring the accusation. But remember, Judas has now killed himself. And so they're looking around, and now they're really in a fix. They want to bring an accusation, but the accuser is not there. So they say, uh, they answered him, If this man were not an evildoer, we, we would not have delivered him to you. Do you see how, you know, they're really confused. Uh, um, uh, well, if he weren't evil, we wouldn't have brought him to you. And what does Pilate say? He says, uh, he, he says, so Pilate said to them, take them yourselves and judge them according to the law. So Pilate says, fine, you don't bring an accusation, no accusation, we're not going to have any trial, no trial, no condemnation, no condemnation, nothing's going to happen. Take them yourself. Pilate was not going to have any of this. You're not going to just come here and say, oh, well, you know, he's bad, therefore do it. You've got to come with an accusation. So he holds them to that. And, and then it says, he says, take him yourselves and judge him. And the Jews said, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. Now, John gives us this parenthetical ter- expression. He says, to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Why is this important? Because that year, that very year, just a few months before this time, less than six months before this time, the Roman Senate had taken away the right for Jews to, to execute capital punishment. And we know that that occurred in 30 AD. How do we know it occurred in 30 AD? Because his, history books tell us, and, and the Talmud itself tells us, that 40 years before the destruction of the temple, they lost the right to, to administer capital punishment. We know by many sources the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. Subtract 40, it's 30 A.D. They lost the right to administer capital punishment. And that's how we know very specifically on these dates. And so he, 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 he and in fact, I, I can quote this to you from the Talmud. It says, 40 years before the temple judgment, capital cases were taken from Israel. So that's specifically what it says. And you can read that in the Talmud today. But it was, even, it was written and it was recorded. So they're in a real fix. 
He says, you take him yourself. He says, we, we want this guy killed and, the, and, and we can't kill him. So now we're going to pick it up. We're going to look over in Luke, Luke chapter 23, starting from verse 1. Now looking now at this composite of the different Gospels, we can pull this together. So now they quickly come up with some accusation. And this is then said in Luke chapter 23, verse 1. Then the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ a king. So this is the accusation they quickly come up with. And so you see what the accusation is. It is the accusation of sedition or treason against the Roman government. Because they couldn't just be some religious accusation. Pilate doesn't care about some religious accusation. He, they're going to have to come with an accusation against the Roman government. And he says, this man has been misleading our nation. That means fomenting revolt. Fomenting revolt against Rome. He's been for, he, and he's forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, which we know is a lie. Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. We know that's a lie, and, but they said he's forbid, he's forbade to pay taxes to Caesar, and he made himself out to be Christ, or Messiah, a king. Now he's making himself out to be competitor to Caesar. Fomenting revolt is a capital punishment. Forbidding to pay taxes is a capital punishment, and making your, yourself to be a competitor to Caesar is a capital punishment. So now that is the accusation. Now go, now go back to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, we're going to pick it up at verse 33. John chapter 18, verse 33. Therefore Pilate entered the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? You see what he's going to address here is, is this really a competitor to Caesar? They've given him no evidence that he was fomenting revolt. They've given him no evidence that he was forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, but he's going to find out if there's been a, com a competitor, if this person is claiming to be a king, a competitor to Caesar. He says, are you, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? So you see that Jesus is asking him for clarity. Now, Jesus already knows. It's not like Jesus needs clarity. He wants Pilate to know specifically what Jesus is about to answer. So he says, are you saying this on your own initiative or, you, or did others tell you about me? In other words, are you a, asking me this as a Jew would ask or as a Roman would ask? And we know that this is exactly what Jesus is asking and Pilate properly understands it because here's his reply in verse 35. Pilate said, answered and said, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? So Pilate well understood what he meant. Jesus is saying, saying, are you asking this as a Jew or are you asking this as a Roman? He says, I'm not a Jew. Why are you saying this to me? He says, your own people deliver you to me. And, and uh, uh, he says, I'm asking you as a Roman, are you a competitor to our king, Caesar? So once Jesus clarifies this, Jesus answered and said to him, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So that was Jesus' answer. He says, you want an answer as a Roman? He says, my kingdom is not of this realm. Jesus, just in, in John chapter 17, one chapter earlier, had said that you are in the world, but you are not of the world. Jesus' kingdom, he, he, he says that, that uh, you're not of the world. You have to live in the world, but you are not of the world. This is the same sort of thing. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. It is otherworldly. Indeed, it's going to be executed upon this world, but right now, at this time, it is from another world. And then, then, uh, then it says in, in uh, and Jesus gives them evidence. He said, if it were of this world, if it were for right now, my, my disciples would be fighting. There's no fighting going on. And so, in verse 37, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this reason I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So Jesus goes ahead and he says to him, he, Pilate says, so you are a king? Is there in any sense, are you, are, are you a king? He says, well, you say rightly I am a king. From a Jewish perspective, I am a king. I'm also a king of truth. And Pilate gives a smug remark, well, what's truth? And now you see that what Pilate finds out. In, 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 uh, he goes on. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said, I find no guilt in him. There's the first proclamation of innocence by Pilate. At that point, it should have been over. Done. I find no guilt in him. There is no guilt in him. If he wants to claim that he's a king of truth and a king of the Jews, fine. <laughs> Take him. He's not a competitor to Caesar. He's not guilty by any Roman charge. You've not proved that he said don't pay taxes. You've not proved that he was fomenting revolt. His servants are not fighting for him. He's no threat to Rome. I find no guilt in him. That's it. It should have been done. And so now let's turn back to Luke. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 23, reading from, from, verse, um, reading from verse 3. Luke chapter one, uh, twenty. Luke chapter twenty-three, reading from verse three. Luke twenty-three, three. So Pilate asked him, saying, "Are you the king of the Jews?" And he answered him, said, "It is as you say." Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, "I find no guilt in this man." So Pilate, Luke again says it very specific. He asked him, "Are you king of the Jews?" He said, "He said, uh, uh, it is as you say." Because it is as you say is more emphatic than just saying I am. Because remember, remember what I told you. If, if, if you were to ask me, are we going, are we going to have lunch today at your house? I said I, I, I could reply, um, you said it. If I say you said it, you'd say, like, whoa, this is going to be a special lunch. It's a, it's a way of saying it emphatically. We even have that in our culture in English. This is a way of emphatically saying it is as you say. You said it yourself. And Pilate says, I find no guilt in this man. If he's king of the Jews, that's, that's no problem for me. No problem for Rome. And so then let's turn to, to uh, you, you, you don't have to turn there if you can, if you want to. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. Let's see what Mark says about this. In Mark chapter 15 
in verse 2, it says, Pilate questioned him. He said, are you king of the Jews? And he answered him, it is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. So remember Pilate said, what is truth, that smug remark? At that point, Pilate shut the door. Right in front of him was standing truth himself embodied. And Jesus said, what is truth? Uh, Pilate said, what is truth? And he walked away. At that point, Jesus shut down and wasn't going to answer anymore. Now the Jews start vehemently accusing Jesus. Why are they accusing Jesus? Because Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. So they start accusing him and start making all sorts of other accusations. And Jesus doesn't even address a single one of them. Why? Because Jesus has already been declared innocent. There is no guilt in this man. Now Jesus knows this is going to be a farce. This this is going to be a kangaroo court. He's not making no other comment. And and, uh, Pilate, it says, was amazed that Jesus wasn't offering any more defense. Nothing. Now, if, if, uh, if you looked in, in Matthew, verse 27, you can see what Matthew has to say about this. Matthew, chapter 27, we're going to start reading from verse 11. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, this is Matthew 27:11, Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they are testifying against you? And he did not answer them with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Again, so Matthew says the same thing that Mark said. Lots of accusations started coming. And he was amazed. Jesus was not saying anything else. Then one person shouts something out. And in, in this, is, this is documented in Luke chapter 23, verse 5. Luke chapter 23, verse 5. So we get a picture of what's happening by making this composite of all the Gospels. Luke chapter 23, verse 5 says, But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. So one person cried out, He started doing this in Galilee all the way to here. Now Pilate is like, wow. Now I've got a way out of this. My way out of this is, you're telling me he's from Galilee? Fine, I'll send him to Herod Antipas. He's here in town too. Why would he send him to Herod Antipas? Because he didn't want to have to have these problems on his hand. You know, let the Roman government get upset with Herod Antipas because of this crowd screaming and yelling. He didn't want any part of this. Send him over to Herod Antipas. He's Galilean. This is, this is uh, let, let, let. Herod Antipas trying because he didn't like Herod. He didn't like Herod Antipas. And we'll see that just in this next portion. But here's the reason why we know historically why the two didn't like each other. It was because, now Herod Antipas is not King Herod. King Herod was the Herod who was there, who was king of Jerusalem, still under Caesar, but given the title of king, he had bought that title by paying a lot of money to the Roman government. But, um, he was the one who built these great walls around Jerusalem. He was the one who, who cut the top off of the Jerusalem mountain. So Jerusalem used to be higher. They cut the top off, made it flat, and that's where the, the old city of Jerusalem is to this day. It's flat. You say, how did this mountaintop get flat? Because they cut the top off. And uh, they, they do that. It's an architectural way. You can see, and, and I've, I've seen it in some cities I've flown into. You, there's an airport on what used to be the top of a mountain. They've cut off the top of the mountain. But... 
Uh, uh, he was also the one who, who tried to kill Jesus when he was first born and had all the male children killed in Bethlehem all, who were two years old and younger. That was King Herod. That was the father of Herod Antipas. So King Herod's dead. Remember, in Egypt, God sent a message to Joseph saying, Herod is dead. You can go back into the land. So he went back. This is Herod's son, Herod Antipas. So when... when uh, um, when Pilate, Pontius Pilate came into his procuratorship in, in, in Jerusalem of Judea in 26 AD, he came in with all his forces and he hung these Roman shields on the, on the wall of the temple. These Roman shields had the pictures of gods and goddesses on them. These animals that looked like gods and gods and goddesses. And this upset the Jews a lot because the Jews aren't allowed to make any image of any gods. And it upset them a lot because right on the temple walls were these, these, these uh, uh, pictures going up. So Herod Antipas was a nominal Jew, as was King Herod. Nominal Jew, meaning that he proclaimed Judaism and, and uh, that's why uh, uh, he was so crazy. He was so crazy that Caesar made a comment that it's safer to be Herod's pig than it is to be Herod's son because Herod had had several of his sons killed because he, 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 he feared that they were going to try to take his position. But he was a nominal Jew and he told Pilate, get those things down. It's going to cause real problems for these Jews. It's, they're sensitive about this stuff. But he wouldn't take them down. And, there was, and so what he did, what Pilate actually did is he dispatched his forces and a lot of the Jews died in that occasion. So Herod Antipas wrote a letter to the Roman Senate. The Roman Senate sent a letter to Pontius Pilate, take those shields down. We don't want any trouble with these people. And so you could see how there was now enmity between the two of them. They didn't like each other as a result of this because Pilate felt that you went to, to uh, uh, the Roman Senate and didn't respect my authority and Herod didn't like him by coming in and causing all these problems. So the two didn't like each other. That's why he's saying, oh, I will send him to Herod. Is not out of the goodness of his heart. It's like, here, let me take my problems and pass it on to him. We will talk about next time that trial before, before, um, before Herod Antipas. But what I want to key in on here is something that we, we just covered in John. If you look back in John chapter 18, John chapter 18, so what's the take-home message today? The take-home message is now that we've seen that what's historically happening, here's the take-home message today. It's this. Pilate said to him, in, in John chapter 18, verse 37, Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus said, You say correctly that I am a king. For this reason I have been born. And for this I came into the world to testify of the truth. Now think about this. Jesus has been abused. He has been spit upon. He has been made fun of at these three religious trials. He is now in chains brought before Pilate. So here he is in chains. He's probably bloody because it says they were punching him, they were hitting him, they were saying, you know, prophesy and all these things. And so he's, he's got his face has been bludgeoned. He hasn't yet gone through his scourging. His face has been bludgeoned. And, and uh, um, he says to him, are you a king? And Jesus said, you say correctly that I am a king. Now, how can this be? 
how can this be? If Jesus were just looking at the circumstances that he was in, he would say, no, I'm not a king, I'm a prisoner. What, are you blind or something? I mean, look at me. But Jesus believed something about himself that was different than what his physical circumstances were testifying. His physical circumstances were, were showing that he was a prisoner. His physical circumstances were not that of a king. Nobody was following him. His disciples had fled from him. All physical circumstances showed that Jesus was not a king. And Jesus said, you rightly said that I am a king. For this very reason I have been born and have come into the world. I am a king. Jesus believed something because his father had proclaimed it. Not because circumstances showed it. This would do us very well to keep hold of. And when you look at the scriptures, it is amazing what people did. When they would call down something upon themselves because God had testified of this. Which was very different than the circumstances. Uh, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, these three books, Paul was writing when he was a prisoner in Rome. He was a prisoner and he was writing these letters. And if you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll just take this one of these books, Ephesians chapter 1. So you've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Just turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And look what Paul says about himself in Ephesians chapter 1, reading from verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Why would he say such a thing? He's a prisoner. He's in prison. They happen to give him a pencil so he could write something. He says, no, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I need to take hold of this. We need to take hold of this. Paul is proclaiming something upon himself that is very different than the appearance of what he's in. He says, I am an apostle. I'm one who starts churches. I am one who has seen the Lord. And I found churches all over. That's who I am. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. What are you? What has God proclaimed upon you? Whether you feel it or not, whether circumstances testify of it or not. You can call upon yourself what God has called upon you. If you look at circumstances, Jesus never would have said, I'm a king. But Jesus knew he was a king and he called that upon himself because his father had proclaimed it. He said, I was born for this reason and for this reason I came into the world. Huh? You a king? You're an apostle? You're sitting in a prison. You're a convict. You're, you're an inmate. You're a prison resident. He says, no, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Then he goes on, he says, in, uh, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is proclaiming upon them Peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is proclaiming this upon them from prison. But the power is still there. 
He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How can a man sitting in prison saying, God has given me every spiritual blessing in Christ? Because he does not promise us material things. He promises us himself something much better than that. In the New Testament, the only thing we are promised is food and clothing. It says in in 1 Timothy, with food and clothing you shall be content. He He doesn't promise us a house. He doesn't promise us a roof over his head. The foxes have holes, the birds of the nest have air, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, Jesus said. He had no home. But what he promises us himself is himself. And Paul says he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you ever feel like you don't have enough in life, just remember, he has given you everything spiritually. The scripture says he has given you his son. Will he not with him give you all things? Everything that you need is embodied in Jesus Christ. He's given you everything. Paul called upon himself that which, Paul, which God had proclaimed. He says, He's given me everything. Everything. Move on down to uh, uh, verse, verse 18 of that same chapter of Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? His power is there. I sat in the UK and, and, and so they gave me this time. I always ask for a time with the graduate students. And I sat with these graduate students and I talked with them over lunch for an hour and a half. I mean, they just didn't move. And I was just, you know, doing my thing, what I do. And I just started talking. They were just... And then finally I said, you guys got to get back to the lab. So I sent them away. And then this group of Christian ones stayed. They said, we want to talk to you. We listen to you on the internet. We want to talk to you. And then, and then uh, uh, one, one young woman, she was a, a Chinese young woman who, who's studying there in the UK and gave her heart to the Lord there in the UK. And she said to me, don't, don't you ever feel inadequate for all you do, all these things? Don't you ever feel inadequate? I said, feel inadequate? Feel inadequate is my name. That is all I ever do is feel inadequate. I feel inadequate to teach this Bible study. I feel inadequate to teach my lecture courses. I feel inadequate to be sitting in the big office that I have. I feel inadequate to be leading the students that I, that I lead. In everything, if I look at myself, I feel inadequate. And how many of our hearts don't testify to all of us that we f- really feel inadequate? Well, somebody else could do this much better than me. That's all, that's all I ever feel. But the Scriptures say, He has made us more than adequate. He is our adequacy, the Scriptures say. He fills us. This is what He gives us. We don't look at the circumstances around us. The circumstances around us may testify all sorts of things. I don't look at the feeling in my heart because I always feel inadequate. I remember when I first started teaching Bible studies, I was an undergraduate and I felt too young. And then I was an assistant, then I was a postdoc, I was teaching them in the chemistry building, I felt too young. Then I was an assistant professor, I felt too young. And then all of a sudden, overnight, I felt too old. 
you know, here I am teaching these students. Maybe I'm not, I'm not good for this. It should be a younger person teaching. I have never felt the right age. I've never felt adequate in myself. Adequacy is something that God gives us. The Scriptures testify He gives us the adequacy. He fills us. He gives us everything that we need. This is why Paul from prison can say, I'm an apostle. I'm writing to you. I pray that your eyes would be open. I already see this. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you will know the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. I pray that your eyes would be open to what you can accomplish in Christ. But remember what it says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. That those who heard the word, those who heard the word could not benefit from it because they did not combine it with faith. There is an obligation upon us to combine this with faith. We must combine this with faith. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it is impossible to please Him. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. If you seek God, He will reward you. You must believe this. And then He takes you and He does amazing things with your life. Remember, the shame of it all is going to be when we get to heaven and see how many blessings we could have had that we didn't take hold of because we didn't walk in faith. It is not the circumstances. It is what God calls us to. It is His Word in our life. And you will always feel weak if you do not get the Word of God in your life. If you are not regularly in the Word of God, the weaknesses will overcome you. Because it is the Word of God that speaks these things into our lives and empowers us. And without this, we will always be weak. And you will forever be weak and your inadequacy will rule your life without the Word of God regularly, daily going into your life. You take the Word of God and you draw it into your life and as you read this, you say, Lord, do this in my life. Nobody else believes that this can happen. You do it in my life, I pray. Do it in my life and watch Him raise you up. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it. And I pray, Lord, that You would take these young people and You would so empower them to take from Your Word and to be filled to overflowing. That they would be able to walk in spite of a sense of inadequacy. That You would make them adequate. Lord, I pray that they, like Jesus, could proclaim what You have proclaimed as to why You have brought them into this world. Father, I pray that the eyes of their heart would be opened. Lord, I pray that they would realize that they have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that they be in Your Word so that they could be built up and not have to walk in weakness the rest of their lives. Father, have mercy on them, I pray. Lord, Your grace be upon them. Draw them close to Jesus. And I pray, Lord, and I give this to You. Amen.